innovation is the cornerstone of future success. Novel therapeutic options are being investigated to improve the management of postpartum hemorrhage. What are the current advances in the field and how can they impact the future treatment strategies for women suffering from PPH? Keep listening to find out. In this final episode of this four-part podcast series on severe PPH, we discuss the latest treatment advances in the management of PPH and how experts perceive the management of PPH will evolve in the future. This podcast is an initiative of Core2Ad and supported by an independent educational grant from Novo Nordisk. I'm honored to introduce to you today's two experts in the field of PPH. Professor Nandor Ach, who is head of the Obstetric and Gynecology Department, Faculty of Medicine, Semmelweis University of Hungary, and Dr. Anne-Sophie Duploy-Boutors, who is a medical doctor at the Obstetric Anesthesia and Intensive Care Department at the Academic Hospital Lille in France. We're very excited to listen to your discussion. So, ladies and gentlemen, dear audience, dear colleagues, it's a pleasure for me to be here with you uh, talking about really interesting and important topic today. This topic is postpartum bleeding. So, first of all, I would like to say some words about myself. My name is Nando Rach. I work at the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Sunrise University in Budapest. This is a tertiary care department. This is the highest level institute in Hungary. So a lot of difficult cases are referred to us. And therefore, we've got some uh, really some experience with these uh, cases. So why is our topic uh, really interesting and important for us even nowadays? Uh, postpartum bleeding is a significant contributor to maternal morbidity and mortality. And it remains a leading cause of uh, maternal mortality globally. It affects around 6% of women giving birth and severe PPH, that is postpartum hemorrhage, is present at around 1 to 3% of all births. And it is responsible for around 8 or 10% of maternal deaths, even in the developed regions. So without treatment, postpartum hemorrhage can rapidly worsen and lead to shock, organ failure and death. And therefore, we are still in need for finding some novel therapeutic approaches to solve this life-threatening situation. What also emphasizes the importance of this topic is that the WHO has issued a roadmap to combat postpartum hemorrhage between 2023 and 2030. So this was just a short introduction why we find this topic really interesting and important. And it is really an honor and a pleasure for me to uh, welcome our distinguished colleague, Dr. Anne-Sophie Boutors from France. Anne-Sophie, it's a pleasure to be with you. Hello, Nandar. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to contribute to this educational program about postpartum hemorrhage. I'm obstetric anesthesiologist for 40 years now in the biggest woman hospital from France, in the north of France, the Jeanne de Flandre Academic Woman Hospital. And my research topic is postpartum hemorrhage, patient blood management in obstetrics, and coagulopathy, hemostasis in pregnancy. This is my pleasure to have our meeting today 
So thank you for your introduction. And to set the scene together, uh, we have to discuss some questions. And the first question is whether we are satisfied with the therapeutic options that we have today and uh, to treat uh, severe PPH and to decrease maternal mortality. I have to tell you that overall, the current treatments for PPH are effective. We have to declare that these are effective, given the continuing decrease in deaths from hemorrhage in the developed world. However, this is really very, very important that we should try to avoid each and every death that is true to PPH all over the world. And moreover, despite these effective measures we have, Postpartum bleeding remains, uh, as we mentioned before, a leading cause of maternal mortality and severe morbidity globally. And also, uh, beyond these facts, there is a new challenge in the developed world. We have a four to five-fold increase in the incidence of severe postpartum bleedings in Europe. This fact has got several reasons behind mostly the obesity of the patients, the advanced age of the mothers, and some factors like this. But the challenge is there, a very high and uh, significant increase in the incidence of these bleedings in Europe. So what is your uh, opinion? What is your view on this, Dr. Butos? So you highlighted the, that the incidence in developed countries is increasing but the majority of the deaths are occurring in developing countries. However, we made uh, very important progresses. In France, for example, we reduced by a factor of three the incidence of maternal deaths due to hemorrhage, thanks to the mobilization of healthcare givers and very strict protocols for the management of PPH. And we observe in Vietnam, for example, or in Egypt, the same effort of healthcare giver to better detect and manage postpartum hemorrhage. So we can do it. And this is important that every healthcare giver in every part of the world could be mobilized around this thema of postpartum hemorrhage. Not only healthcare givers, but also institutions and every people that can prevent or avoid this very important pathology. So the new development could be the availability of the medicine and the devices that helps to manage postpartum hemorrhage and especially availability of blood products, because when someone is bleeding, blood is necessary for anesthesiologists to resuscitate this woman. Thank you, Anne-Sophie. If I'd like to react to your thoughts, I have to tell that there is a need. We have to distinguish between the developed world and the less developed regions, of course. In the later ones, in the less developed countries, uh, the access to medicines, the access to blood, intravenous administration of drugs may be very, very limited. So it's a completely different situation. In Europe or North America, on the other hand, the most important issue is the early recognition and the early active treatment. We have to act very fast. However, and also even in these countries, the resources may be limited in smaller obstetric settings. And most of the deliveries 
in each and every country happens in these smaller settings. So not just the tertiary care department, the, the highest level departments. And also there, we have to find the solutions for stopping these bleedings and save the lives of these mothers. And also what is very, very important, in my opinion, is the continuous training of the personnel. We have to train uh, them. Uh, we have to train ourselves regularly, continuously. So, Anne-Sophie, do you agree or, or what do you believe? What are the current gaps in these uh, processes? I really agree with you. And we have uh, an organization in the north of France, which in all France, which is the perinatal net. So we go in every little obstetric unit and we make multidisciplinary training of the team. So midwives, nurses, anesthetists, anesthetists, obstetricians, and also the people around the woman. And we make training about that. We have also guidelines to prevent and treat anemia before delivery. So prepartum anemia, which is a, a very important objective to, to prevent postpartum hemorrhage because anemia is a factor of postpartum hemorrhage and also a factor of severe morbidity in postpartum hemorrhage. And we develop also devices to diagnose anemia and diagnose coagulopathy at the point of care, at the bedside of the patient. And it helps to be very proactive, as you suggest. And so it's one of the theme of my research to develop this test. So we developed first our hemoglobin tests at the bedside of the patient. And now we developed a fibrinogen test, which is very easy to use, and also viscoelastic test to uh, diagnose the coagulopathy. And this demonstrates that the earlier the treatment is given, the better the result is. Yeah, it's always said that uh, in this case, uh, time is blood. So uh, mm -hmm. uh, I was told by a, by a very uh, good anesthesiologist colleague. So our task for today is to talk about the new developments, the new options in treating uh, severe PPH. So if we would like to highlight the areas of the potential new research, the potential new development, I think we must think about new medicines, new treatment strategies, and some technological advancements or new devices. So Anne-Sophie, what do you think about the new therapeutic developments to treat the severe PPH? I will be happy that you speak about intranasal oxytocin. Can you speak about that? Because it seems so interesting. There are some very uh, promising options. And we have some publications on the potential use of a heat-stable and nasally administered oxytocin. And this is really very, very promising because it can be used at remote places in less developed countries also. So uh, this uh, heat-stable oxytocin that can be administered nasally is a very good option. Also, we have some publications on the potential use of melatonin mm -hmm. as a synergizing uh, agent with oxytocin because melatonin levels peak in pregnant women just before birth, and these levels are supposed to signal increased myometrial contractility. Mm -hmm. We also have studies on the effects of vasopressin against the bleedings. 
And there is an anti-arrhythmic drug that is also a target molecule. The name is dofetilid. I have no experience with that, I have to tell you, uh, but yeah. I've just read the publications. It works by selectively blocking the rapid component of the delayed potassium current. And this causes the refractory period of the tissue to increase. And this may help uh, the contractility of the uterus, of course. And at the end, not a new medicine. We have got this, but uh, a new approach. So the earlier and more frequent use of activated factor seven has also been proposed. So these are the medicines. These are the new drugs uh, that are under development that I'm aware of. On the, the side of patient blood management, we also have tranexamic acid which can be used intramuscularly. And we are uh, several uh, research team to work on this old drug, but uh, it's an old drug, easy to use, easy to keep. And the use of uh, tranexamic acid, uh, prophylactic tranexamic acid is not very efficient, but when bleeding is beginning, it can be given very quickly. And uh, so before the third hour, and it has to be renewed 30 minutes after the beginning of bleeding to keep the minimum concentration and uh, maintain efficiency before very, very important hyperfibrinolysis like we observe in acute obstetric coagulopathy. And the second part of the treatment, what we progress on now, is the restoration of fibrinogen plasma level, which is the decrease of fibrinogen is the central component of coagulopathy. So we need to restore it, and to restore it, we can use fibrinogen concentrate or cryoprecipitate also very quickly after the beginning of coagulopathy and postpartum hemorrhage. And we also can use plasma, but the targeted restoration of fibrinogen is more efficient than the blind strategy to correct this coagulopathy. And what could be very useful also is um, now the new drug, lyophilized plasma. It's very new and it could be the way to make it available in every woman hospital everywhere. So it's like plasma, but doesn't need to be frozen, so diffusion. And so it's easy to use, easy to be available for, for clinicians. So, And my last comment is about factor 7a. Factor 7a is a very potent procoagulant drug that has been um, created and concepted to stop the untractable bleeding in patients with hemophilia and antibodies. So it's very powerful tool to provide coagulation. However, you need to have platelets to make uh, factor 7A efficient. And because it generates thrombin, you also need to have fibrinogen. So to have factor 7A efficient, you need 
platelets, fibrinogen, and also calcium, a good and normal temperature, and a good and normal acidobasic uh, equilibrium. So it's the conditions to have a good efficiency of factor 70. Thank you for, for this uh, really very, very comprehensive explanation of the drugs that we can use during a severe postpartum bleeding. That also sh- showed how important for us gyne- obstetricians, gynecologists, the anesthesiologist colleagues and the hematologist colleagues, because we are simple handymen, we are just the obstetricians, and these distinguished colleagues are always there with us and help us treating these severe conditions. We also have to tell some words about the new treatment strategies if we have. They may also be very important. However, at present, at the moment, I think there are no new ideas at our side, at the obstetrical side. The new strategies come from anesthesiology or hematology. For example, I've read some publications, some very interesting publications about the restrictive fluid resuscitation or point-of-care viscoelastic hemostatic assay-guided blood product transfusion. But these are specialties of a hematologist or an uh, specialized anesthesiologist. So, Anne-Sophie, what do you think about these technological advancements or, or new treatment strategies? Thank you for this question. So it's in the heart of my work. And most of these strategies are coming from trauma and massive bleeding in trauma or marginal surgery. And we need to understand the specificities of hopstetrics, especially on coagulopathy. However, guided strategies help us to avoid respiratory complication for women. And also it helps to save and spare the blood transfusion and avoid some complication of the blood transfusion. It's very useful. What is also new is that we allow now the cell salvage used for massive bleeding in obstetrics. And this is very useful too, because in our hospital, we use it for 20 years and we didn't have any amniotic fluid embolism like it was expected or, or uh, feared. And this Use of cell salvage helps the obstetrician to be proud of the bleeding because it, it comes back to us. And also, it helps of sparing autologous transfusion. So we have uh, 25% of our blood transfusion came from cell salvage. And it's the blood of the patient. And some patients, they only have their self-blood. So... It's now allowed in all the uh, European guidelines. And so it's a progress, I think, because most of the big hospitals, they have tools to sell the blood of the patient. Thank you, Anne-Sophie. And this is really very, very interesting. And again, emphasizing the immense role of you, anesthesiologist colleagues, in helping us in these very difficult situations. So now, if you would like to wrap up a bit the last 20 minutes that we were talking. So we've got the established methods of uh, stopping the bleeding, of trying to stop the bleeding, the established medicines. We have got some new and important developments, also some new drugs, some new approaches. And we should give some future outlook if it's possible. So I would like to hear 
uh, your opinion about what we can expect in the next five, 10 years in this area. What can the WHO guideline development group bring us? So what are your thoughts about this, Sophie? I think that we must work on availability and advocacy and, and uh, implementation of what we know and the progress we can do. And so it's really the objective of the WHO roadmap to combine and uh, comfort all energies to stop the maternal deaths due to bleeding to postpartum hemorrhage and all the depression it induces and the fatigue for mother and the distress of families when the mother is dying. It's so, so important. And my last message is prevent anemia, uh, let anticipate the, the blood availability, and also mobilize and combine the energy to avoid this maternal death. Thank you, Sophia. I could not agree more. So you wrapped up the important messages that we have now. And as we are approaching the end of uh, our podcast, unfortunately, if we would like to give some uh, clinical takeaways from the obstetric point of view, the important things, I think that we always have to be very well trained and we always have to be ready to react any emergency situation because these bleedings happen unexpectedly. So most of these cases happen unexpectedly and we always have to be ready to react to these unfortunate situations. On the other hand, we have our old medicines we have to use, but we also have to gain knowledge on the novel options, new medicines or the medicines that we had before, but uh, we have some uh, new options to use. As you mentioned, factor seven, the earlier use of activated factor seven or things like this. And we are really waiting the new developments that may occur in the upcoming years. So what would you like to add as some last words, if I may ask? Uh, I have nothing to add, uh, except that we have to continue to work multidisciplinary to suppress this, uh, this cause of maternal death. Thank you, uh, Sophie, for your uh, contribution to this podcast. And I would be very happy if you enjoyed this podcast. I mean, the, the listeners, the audience, it was a joy for us, a pleasure for us. At the end, I would just like to thank all the audience for being with us here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for sharing your views on this important topic. Uh, we've learned a lot from your discussion on the most recent advances in the treatment of PPH and also how this could impact future treatment strategies. If you enjoyed this and want to find out more about PPH, then please look for the other episodes in this series on the Obstetrics and Gynecology Medical Conversation podcast under the account of Core to Add Medical Education. Also, don't forget to rate this episode, subscribe to the channel, or inform your colleagues about it. Thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast is an initiative of Core to Add and developed by Obstetrics and Gynecology Connect, a group of international experts working in the field of gynecology. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the experts. 
they do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' organizations or the rest of the Obstetrics and Gynecology Connect group. For experts' disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the Courtuet website.